Welcome to Blair Slept There. I'm your host, Blair Hopkins. Today's episode features one of America's favorite roadside oddities, and one that I get asked about constantly. I'm stoked to get to share this story with y'all, but first, a couple announcements. Blair Slept There is now officially live on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Probably you know this already because you are listening to it on one of the aforementioned platforms, but, you know. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe and rate or review. It only takes a second and helps me out a ton. Another thing you probably already know but that I feel the need to say, Blair Slept There has a hashtag in front of it and is all one word on all platforms. If you look for me as Blair space slept space there, uh, God only knows what you'll find and I claim responsibility for none of it. Also, the website is up. I post on Instagram all the time under at Blair Slept There for my day-to-day hotel and motel coverage, but BlairSleptThere.com is your spot for seeing complete sets of each episode's photos, as well as transcripts, links to my references, additional educational resources, and eventually merch. I hate dealing with website design, and I worked really hard on this, so please go see, enjoy, and tell me what you think. All right, a final note, the name of the town in today's episode is pronounced Tonopah, and while I managed not to embarrass myself by saying it incorrectly in front of any residents, I did call it Tonopah in some of the live footage, so beware, be gentle. Okay, on to the goods. since I started shooting motels, hardly a week has gone by that someone hasn't asked me about or brought up the infamous Clown Motel of Tonopah, Nevada. This ominous landmark, immediately adjacent a century-old cemetery, has loomed over Nevada's Highway 95 about three and a half hours northwest of Las Vegas, giving passers through the willies for longer than I've been alive. According to an article by Audrey Webster on the lineup titled, Nevada's Creepy Clown Motel Will Haunt Your Dreams, quote, The Clown Motel was founded by Leona and Leroy David in 1985. They chose the location next to the cemetery because it's where their family was buried. They decorated the walls with their clown collection and ran the place until 1995 when they sold to Bob Perchetti. The Clown Motel entered the larger cultural consciousness a couple years ago when Mr. Perchetti decided to retire and put the motel back on the market. Suddenly, it was being featured on every travel, Americana, and horror outlet in the tri-state area and even loads of national and international sites like Atlas Obscura and the Daily Mail. All of this coverage focused heavily on the creepiness of the place. Every headline was like, Ooh, you can own this creepy Clown Motel. Ooh, it's so creepy. I personally do not suffer from chlorophobia, and in fact, I like clowns enough that my affinity for them sometimes creeps people out on its own. I've also stayed in a handful of motels wherein I have had very legitimate concerns about my imminent physical safety, and so always found the whole, this is the scariest hotel in the world, routine a little silly. Also, I don't believe in ghosts, uh, unless I'm in the state of Louisiana, the entirety of which is 100% haunted as fuck. That said, I knew the photo ops would be outrageous, and so on my next trip to Vegas, I made a point of going out to see the spot. This was in 2017, back when Mr. Perchetti still owned the motel. I got in late, maybe around midnight, 1 a.m. Stick around and you will uh, begin to see a pattern emerge here. Anyway, the menacing life-size clown cutouts I'd seen in some of the articles were not present, 
But still, even having deliberately booked it and having been on the road looking for it, the structure garnered a double take. The motel was a faded baby blue and white featuring signage with cartoon clowns lit up with carnivalesque vanity bulbs. The parking lot was disproportionately large, likely with semi-truck traffic in mind, and so the lobby was far enough from the roadside's lights and signs to be a little unsettling. Immediately to the right of the lobby, the property ended and became what looked like a large, pitch-black, empty lot, but what I knew to be the cemetery. Inside the lobby, I was immediately hit with a familiar, musty smell, that of heavily trafficked 1980s carpeting. It was roomy and rickety, wood-paneled, and was host to massive shelves covered floor-to-ceiling with clown figurines of every conceivable size, shape, and type. A six-foot Ronald McDonald kept watch over the coffee station by the front window. Clowns with parachutes dangled over an ancient couch toward the back of the room. Little porcelain clowns were configured looking outward to greet me. Stuffed clowns gazed vacantly up at me from the floors. To the right was a counter separating me from a maze of back rooms and Mr. Bob Perchetti himself. Mr. Perchetti introduced himself. He seemed tired but friendly and still very much enamored of the motel while still very much uncomfortable with all the recent attention. He gave me the room nearest to the office. I was surprised and a little disappointed to find the room itself completely free of clown paraphernalia, but delighted to find the musty carpet smell carried over by way of what I can only assume was original furniture. A lot of these old western motels have large rooms, like almost uncomfortably large, with odd corners and nooks and crannies. This was no exception. Between the depth of the room and the limited scope of its dark orangey lights, not all of which were working, I could barely see from the door to the bathroom. The vanity was tucked away in the back around yet another corner. Given the establishment's reputation, I was a little wary that one of the aforementioned missing scary cutouts might be lurking somewhere, and whether it be a murderous mime or a blood-sucking hell insect, I really dislike uninvited guests in my motel beds. So I included behind the shower curtain and under the bed checks with my usual mattress, pillow, headboard inspections. Anyway. The room was run down, but clean and cool. I slept like a rock, left happy. I got to visit the Clown Motel a second time this summer on my way down to Los Angeles after I left Wallace. I was really eager to see what the new owners had in store. Oh, shit. All right, here we are. I am at the end. Clown Motel in Tonopa, Nevada, where I have been before, but it's now under new management. So, let's see what they have in store for me this time. Hello, hotel room. big banner on the table that says welcome Blair with flair that is so incredibly charming oh yeah they've done a great job in here they're really leaning into the theme when I stayed last night all of the clown themed things were um, they were 
really just contained at the lobby. And now it looks like the new owners have painted the inside, like circus green, like neon, yellowy green. And they've added all these portraits of clowns around the bed. But what's funny is that they're not done. Like there's there's still like painter's tape on some things outside and and whatever. But inside there's still the old carpeting, which you can tell is like raised up and not less than 30 years old. And it's that like, you know, notoriously hideous cheap motel carpeting and bedding. But they've thrown a bunch of throw pillows that are circus colors onto the bed. So when I first walked in, I thought I was like, Oh my God, there's a fucking clown on that bed. I swear to God. Um, <laughs> Cause it does. It looks like there's somebody sitting in the bed when the lights off. Um, yeah. Well, they've got a long way to go on this place. It's still as deliciously run down as it was previously, but you can see the improvements that they're making. Like last time I stayed, I stayed in the room right next to the lobby. And instead of towel racks, there was just chains that uh, were like, like put into the wall with like basically like push pins or screws. And now they've put up some towel racks, but they're not full. And you can see a lot of plaster marks where they're trying to kind of bring it together. And there's still paint marks on the mirrors and things like that. Um, and only one of the bulbs in the vanity works. But yeah, it's it's perfect. And I know last time I stayed here, I remember thinking like this is everything I could want in a weird dingy desert motel and now it's actually even better so this is really great <sighs> okay let's get these pictures taken I was relieved to find the room's thematic enhancements there had been a lot of concern expressed that the establishment sale might result in its demolition or revamping into a franchise. When I spoke to the new owner, he told me that actually all potential buyers had their intentions thoroughly vetted. The other major and majorly unsettling defining feature of the property is its immediate proximity to an old cemetery. The first Tanopa Cemetery houses some of the area's earliest residents and remains magnificently intact. It is a very pretty but strange plot of land that rests just a little lower in elevation from the hotels. I say strange because it doesn't seem to belong where it is. To just glance over with only the landscape's context to go on, one would fully expect to find a junkyard down there. Also, the dip in elevation insulates the cemetery from highway noise. Not that there's much more than the occasional semi anyway, but it does feel oddly isolated within the bounds as opposed to just 30 or so feet away. Before bed, I got my nerve together and took a short stroll across the neon-lit parking lot past the lobby window and its leering clown idols down around the side of the building. I've got one more cigarette in this pack and then tomorrow I gotta go back to clean living. But I might take this opportunity to walk down by the cemetery. I don't know if I'm gonna go in though. It's uh A, it's incredibly, incredibly creepy. Uh, and B, I don't know, I don't wanna 
upset anybody that may be rusting down in there, so I'm going to just kind of scoot along the edge here. Try not to draw any attention, living or otherwise. This is 100% how people die in horror movies. I'm literally going to work on a horror movie. I should know better. Okay. First Nova Cemetery, 1901 to 1911. Buried here are many of Tonopa's pioneer residents, including 14 victims of the Tonopa Belmont Mine Fire of February 23rd, 1911, as well as the victims of the 1902 Tonopa Plague. Cemetery fenced by 1979, fenced in 1979 by Central Nevada Historical Society. The thing I remember most about seeing this cemetery in the daytime um, is that they're all very makeshift graves. Yeah, I'm not fucking, I'm not going in there. That's too much for me, thanks. I'm standing, there's it's there's like a chain link fence that's on the outside of a much older looking wooden fence. Neither of which are very high. Maybe five feet. And uh, you can see right down into the area. All of the graves are outlined with rocks and have wooden headstones. Every single fucking noise is about making me jump out of my skin. So I'm going to walk like two feet further away. I'm not going to be able to see anything uh, worth recording anyway. But Cemetery is maybe, I don't know, maybe 30, 50 feet from the hotel. It's closer than most suburban homes. It's really pretty and eerie the way that like the lights from the hotel kind of cast shadows over the wooden tombstones. I think I'm gonna just allow these poor mine fire victims to rest here tonight. Presence of the black cat walking parallel to me right now does not really uh, foster a sense of like wanting to go in there either so hi the kitten I'm really really tired normally an 8 hour drive wouldn't take it out for me like this little hotel room have some popcorn. Maybe I'm going to pop three or four bags of this for the road tomorrow. Make good use of the microwave. <sighs> Settle in. Old Tonopah Cemetery is positively stunning in the daylight, but it feels just as out of place and is just as eerily quiet on the grounds. 
The sun is downright menacing in Nevada this time of year, but even it seems reverent of the lot. One would expect the town's remains to be scorched from exposure, and yet the field of makeshift graves stands not cowering, not triumphant, in fact not defiant at all, but indifferent to the elements. The headstones are fashioned from wooden planks. Some are rounded, some combined into crosses, but largely they are just shoved resolutely into the ground as found, affixed with thin metal plates upon which the memories of the deceased are preserved. You may find this surprising, but I haven't spent that much time rooting around old mining town cemeteries in the desert. I have no idea if the way Tonopaz is constructed is the era standard, and it very well could be, but I have not seen anything like it before or since. On the little metal plates, the deceased's information is riveted, or in some cases, kind of carved in. The limits of the medium make the information appear primitive, almost like handwriting, and it feels so intimate. Some of them even have flower shapes hammered into them that don't look unlike some of my own doodling. The other unique thing about these headstones is the amount of information they relay. Most of them have not only a name with a birth and death date, but also where the occupant was from and how they died. This cemetery is best known for housing residents who died in the 1911 Belmont Company mine fire, but there are graves belonging to men who died of heart failure and liver complaint, as well as several women in their early 20s who died by suicide. Consider the grave of one Laura Smith who died in 1906, and according to her headstone was, quote, a kind lady, under which is scrawled, quote, life became a burden. There are named and unnamed infants, and, most memorably, the grave of one Charles Smith, aged 33, from British Columbia, an ore sorter at the Montana Tonopah Mine, who in August of 1906 was, quote, murdered in his cabin behind the Midway Mine. I intend to be cremated, but on the off chance I end up with a headstone, I would like it to contain no less and no less interestingly presented information than this. Tonopah's roots run deep. It was Shoshone territory for centuries, and the town's first European population was people making their way to and from California during the gold rush in the 1840s. Silver was soon thereafter discovered throughout the Great Basin region, which encompasses all of Nevada, as well as most of Oregon, Utah, California, Idaho, and Wyoming. A man named Jim Butler was the first to come across silver in what's now known as Tonopah, Nevada. This was in 1900. Legend has it that his discovery was completely by accident. The prevailing narrative is that Butler was frustrated with one of his burrows, having spent most of the previous night looking for the animal. When he found it, he went to throw a rock at it. Butler noticed the rock was exceptionally heavy and determined it to be silver upon further inspection, and a boomtown was born. The more likely truth, though, is that Butler had some insider info, as his wife was part Shoshone and he spoke the language fluently. Also, the discovery of silver was hardly instantaneous, and in this, both legend and historical record are in agreement. Butler took his suspected silver to several assayers and was rejected out of hand by each. Assayer Frank Hicks even told Butler he, quote, wouldn't pay a dollar for a thousand tons of the stuff. The ore was unusual, and it turned out of unusually high quality, with the highest bid coming in at nearly $600 per ton. After Butler sold his claim and the mining industry formally moved into the area, life bustled but was very, very hard. One of my primary sources for this episode is a text called A History of Tonopah, Nevada by anthropologist and son of a miner Robert D. McCracken. 
Within the text, he presents an oral account of life in the early mining camps by one of its first female residents, a woman who served as a mining camp cook named Charlotte Lottie Stimler, who had this to say. About the 2nd of February, it began to snow and blow so furiously that within a few days, the snow was three feet on the level and piled up behind our kitchen for five or six feet. Our feet would almost freeze while standing and walking on the ice and mud while waiting on the table. By bedtime, Miss Greaves' shoes and mine would be so wet that they would freeze stiff during the night. We would have to thaw them out before we could put them on the next morning. The frost would come through the canvas of the tent and drop on us, and so we had to keep our heads covered during sleep. One night I woke and found my pillow covered with light snow. Our alarm clock would freeze and stop, so I put it under my pillow to keep it warm. There were so few of us, and we had so much to do that we would get up around 4.30 in the morning. We would not get to bed until 11 or after at night. Even when I got to bed, I could hardly sleep. Every fierce gust of wind would almost blow the tent over. Nearly every morning, some tent would blow down, its occupants buried in the snow. All he could do was pull the canvas over him to protect himself till morning. In the middle of March, the wind blew so hard that it broke the main scanting along the side of the tent. They thought they had the tent fixed, and then when everything was secure, as they thought, they got halfway across the street when the ridge pole broke in two. The boy who helped me first braced himself against the door to keep the whole front of the tent from blowing in, while I ran out to call the men back. Another day, our kitchen tent was torn and blown down at dinner time. While the men were eating, one of us would stand and hold the pipe on the cook stove to keep it from blowing away. In spite of our efforts, it would slip off the stove, and the whole place filled with soot and smoke and ashes. Finally, the kitchen tent was ripped from top to bottom in several places. It scattered and upset everything except the stove. In reading Stimler's account, I can't help but think of the women in the cemetery whose headstones are marked suicide. As miserable and laborious as it surely was for the men, it had to have been even worse for the women, who had very limited rights in the community, almost no protections, a staunch and harsh social caste system in place, and a high rate of poverty due to mine widowhood. For miners, of course, death was always at the doorstep. Tonopah's Great Plague of 1902 is another bit of eerie local legend. It's always presented as a mysterious illness of unknown origin that swept the camps, leaving the spirits to wander, frightening tourists for all eternity. Further research reveals that this plague almost exclusively affected the town's men, and as such, was probably black lung. Though pneumonia was definitely a problem that took the lives of many infants and elderly people throughout those rough winters of the settlement's youth. If you ask me... The far more likely haunters of Tonopah are the tortured souls of those killed in the Belmont Company mine fire of 1911, also interred with the plague victims. Seventeen men were killed in the fire, many by smoke inhalation. The rest were crushed to death by the lift sent to rescue them. One man, Big Bill Murphy, saved dozens of men by braving the blaze in said lift. He went down into the shaft twice, but on his third trip, failed to reemerge. The cause of the fire was never determined. Despite its brushes with tragedy, and against the odds set forth by precedential gold and silver boomtowns, Tonopah thrived throughout the late 1800s and even became the Nye County seat. With industry came immigrants, with immigrants came community, religion, libraries, newspapers, roads, and nightlife. There were, naturally, endless racial and ethnic struggles. In particular, there was the Old West staple of exploitation and violence towards indigenous people and the Chinese. 
Those are very important issues that are deserving of, at the very least, their own podcast episodes. Overall, though, the area was considered to be diverse and well-functioning by standards of the time, with a good mix of indigenous people, free black people, Chinese, European, and Slavic immigrants, as well as a host of transplants from the eastern United States. The region's mining tapered off over the years and transitioned to primarily a ranching area. The highway has served as a vital trucking route across the desert. At present, Tonopah still has around 2,500 residents, one of the newest of which is the Clown Motel's new proprietor, Haim Anand. My name is Haim Anand, and uh, kind of I'm, you can say I'm a new CEO of Clown Motel, because my family doesn't want to say their name that who owned this motel. So they say, you are the one who wholesale everything, you are the totally, totally, you know, you know, this is all you, yeah. This is all you, this is you, you, you. <laughs> and, and whatever, you know, you have to improve, upgrade, this is all your plan. You know, you do it, whatever. You, I mean, I discuss in a little bit every time, but... So, and then my background is, uh, I was in India, so I was art director and creative director for advertising agency, and I worked 20 years there. And I had my bachelor, master's, no, bachelor in art there, mm-hmm. and I came here for my master's of master communication. I went to Nebraska Lincoln, and then I finished my degree and I got opportunity to work with President Obama. I got selected for the campaign and I worked for them, and then I got the job. And this is how I got uh, my green card and citizenship. And then my family all the time was forcing me to come and join us, you know. So. I got transferred in Vegas, and I started living with them, you know, working with the motel. And after two months, they said, man, you surpass everybody. <laughs> like you, you should work in motel. I said, you are a good guy. I mean, you should take care of this thing. I said, that's not my career. But they said, okay, how about if you buy one motel and give it to you? And you are the whole soul. You think you any know. motel? Yeah, I said, <laughs> any motel. Yeah, anywhere you want to go, you just... You, you search and you tell us that, hey, I selected this motel and will buy it. So this is how it happened. I was, I was watching everywhere, searching everywhere, everywhere. And my, I mean, search was wide, wide, wide. I can go Alaska, Nebraska, everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> so suddenly I saw this thing. And I said, wow, this is a totally different thing. It's just not motel. It's like a landmark. And people come here and popular. So I said, that's, that's my motel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to buy this one. So when I was discussing and telling about to my family, they outrightly rejected it. I said, I'm not going to buy this motel ever right. because <laughs> last night we were searching and everybody is saying this is haunted and this thing. No, 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 no. I said, you're not going there. Mm-hmm. If something will happen, happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost, the cloud ghosts yeah, are coming for yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. So I said, don't worry. And they came here. With me, I said, okay, let's go and check it out. So they came here, and you're not gonna believe they totally changed. They say, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll buy this model. And so eventually they bought it, and I'm so here. Are. Yeah, so here you are. Not bad. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Let these folks get in there. How are you guys? Hi, how are you? Good. You want to post them? <laughs> They're great. Yeah. This one does. Grab your mic. It's, yeah, there's a free, you get a free clown mask. Oh. 
Were you guys mm -hmm. just driving by? Yeah, we're yeah. driving by. <laughs> he said that he saw this in a video, this motel. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, he knows this. Yeah, the, he said he wants to stay here next time. Oh, really? Yeah. Pretty cool. I like it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, so you bought the hotel in April, right? Night, we took over, yeah. Okay. And has it been what you expected? What What's it been like slipping into owning a hotel? It was really great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not missing my job. Mm -hmm. So because it looks like it looks like I'm working like all the time I'm working on some artwork or you mm -hmm. know the logo designing, I had to paperwork and I had to do that for think about the theme, mm -hmm. you know, how I had to grow this motel. So it's still very creative. All the planning, yeah, very creative, very mm -hmm. creative. This is all my planning to change everything, the sign, everything. Like, did I show you? Hayman brought out a file folder with design and building plans. He says that he maps out everything on his tablet first and collaborates with the silent partners on plans for renovations, but basically has full autonomy on what he'd like to do design-wise. His palette is fantastical, but well-coordinated. He's already started painting the building, changing the base color from its faded baby blue to a brick red covered with yellow, green, blue, and purple polka dots. He's repainted the clown cutouts on the doors of each room and intends to add loads of signage both in the rooms and around the property. In one of the back rooms, he is working on a series of three to four foot tall celebrity clown caricatures, the ranks of which include Albert Einstein, Charlie Chaplin, The Beatles, U2, and Donald Trump. There are big plans for the buildings themselves, too. Haim is renovating everything, replacing carpeting and furniture, doing complete upgrades of the facilities. He plans to fully recreate the lobby area into a large two-story circular building reminiscent of a circus tent, complete with a museum-style display for the lobby's infamous clown figurines, as well as other local artifacts. He wants to add a cafe with floor-to-ceiling windows overlooking the cemetery. He is enthralled by the area's history and obsessed with making people's experiences as immersive as possible. Perhaps most impressively, Haim is very invested in keeping the establishment accessible and maintains that his price structure will not change much. He anticipates raising the room prices by 5 to $10 over the next several years to keep up with inflation, but says he wants the place to be comfortable and fun, not fancy or exclusive. He's able to do this, he says, because he's found reliable, affordable local contractors. Also, his visual art background and advertising expertise allow him to create the vast majority of the thematic enhancements on his own. He's even already put together a new commercial. Welcome to the world-famous Clown Motel, under new ownership, with a new fun-looking building. Rooms still feature clown decor, fridge, microwave, flat screen, ultra-high-definition TV, free Wi-Fi, dish TV, and huge convenient parking. Dare you explore one of the scariest motels in the world, right next to Tonopah's oldest historic cemetery. To book your room at the Clown Motel, call 775-482-5920. Let the fear run down your spine. <laughs> I use the right USB. Uh-huh. Yeah, the fear factor. Yep, you yeah, have to, yeah. I mean, you have to. That's yeah, what it's based yes, off yes, of, right? Yes, yes, Nice. Yeah, and also the radio guy was telling me, why are you saying like this? I said, yeah, this is the one I need. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say this is the motel and this and that we have, and that's it. No. 
Right. No, we are famous for this. I think a lot of people were scared when they saw that this was up for sale, oh. and they thought, oh, my God, it's going to become like a Marriott or... Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So it was a sale. He was saying, the Bob was saying that a lot of people came here mm -hmm. to buy this motel, but they had a different concept in their mind. They are right. going to change the clown. We're going to get rid of clowns. You keep the clowns. We'll take motel and we'll change the name, everything. He said, no. Yeah. Not going to happen. So when I saw, I said, oh, my God. I'm going <laughs> to keep this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this place bigger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go all the way with it. Do you worry about it becoming too kitschy or too cheesy, or are you just going to go with it? Yeah, I'll go with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Is this the smallest town that you've lived in? Yeah. yeah. That's the smallest. There's not much going on. Every time this, my job is such as you don't have a small town advertising agency. So I've been in Chicago, LA, New York, New mm -hmm. Jersey. Yeah. Is your family out here? Are you okay, married? Do you son, have kids? My, my son, my, I have only one son, mm -hmm. and he's studying in India mm -hmm. because. I study here, I paid a lot of money, mm -hmm. hell of money. $80,000, I said, I cannot afford. Right. And, you know, you know, every kid, you know, parents know the, how the kid, how far the kid will go. Right. <laughs> uh -huh. Not what his future is. Yeah. You can pretend anything, but you know, inside that right. your kid is not that sharp, not going to be engineer, or not going to be doctor, or not going to make something, you know, that he going to live a mediocre life. Mm -hmm. So I said... I mean, putting him in college here and spending $80,000 is not going to no. I say, better I will buy a business and you at least, you know, if you didn't find anything, okay, come join us. Sure. Yeah. Right. So I saved that money. Right. So he's <laughs> sitting there. So uh, my wife is there because, you know, the Indian mom never leaves their kid. Okay. Even, so she went even, with him. Yeah. She says, I'm not going to, I'm going to leave my son. Okay. I'm the only one. She's the, he's the only one and I don't want to spoil him. So she's there probably one more year, and then they'll okay. be here, join us. And then they'll come back yeah. down here. That'll be great. And by then you'll have everything ready. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Eamon and his family seem to be in it for the long haul out in Tonopah. Though he's only maybe a quarter of the way through renovations at the Clown Motel, when we spoke, he and his extended family were already making plans to purchase another hotel in town. That spot was a mess with a terrible reputation, and Haim has eyes to completely rebrand it in the interest of giving Tonopah another higher-end hotel option. The amount he's taking on all at once seems tremendous, and I asked him if he was worried that he might be biting off more than he can chew. He dismissed the question entirely, saying that the Clown Motel's notoriety makes it self-sustaining even through the construction, and the rest he's saved for unknowingly as he put money back towards retirement. His advice for anyone looking to take a leap into hospitality perfectly encapsulates his energetic, realistic attitude about investments. They buy shit and they leave it like a shit, <laughs> and they think we're gonna make money. That's not, that's not the business. No, you gotta put money. Part of me is a little sad to see the Clown Motel's creaky old bones refortified into a Vegas-informed hard rock cafe version of itself 
as though transitioning to full-on tourist attraction will come at the expense of its authenticity. On the other hand, Haim clearly feels he's struck gold in having acquired the place, and a quirky local hotel serving as the lifeblood for a clever, ambitious immigrant family is in perfect, poetic keeping with Tonopah's story. I am certain that the motel and its spirits, both harlequin and historical, are in good hands. This episode of Blair Slept There was written and produced by me, Blair Hopkins, with music by Lola Johnson. For photos from today's episode, visit BlairSleptThere.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram at at BlairSleptThere. If you're interested in supporting this humble venture, please visit me on Patreon and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on whichever podcast platform you employ. For more information on Tonopah, Nevada, visit TonopahNevada.com and please, I cannot recommend enough check out Robert D. McCracken's brilliantly assembled and sourced 10,000 BC to present book, A History of Tonopah, Nevada. It is available for free online through internetarchive.org and is for sale with accompanying photographs from Nye County Press. Happy Halloween, everyone, and happy birthday to the state of Nevada, which was ratified as such on October 31st, 1864.